Hello and welcome to Breaking Mayberry, the show that watches black and white television to learn why all of our grandparents' brains are broken. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Marty Schneider. Marty did two takes of this, I'm Dan Ludwig. <laughs> you fucking dick. Uh, Dan, what's up? How have you been? Uh, before we get into today's episode, tell me about what you did this weekend. Uh, I am back in my native homeland of Massachusetts, spent the weekend in Boston, where the primary thing I did with an entire city at my disposal is I saw a midnight screening of Dante's Peak, the 1990s Pierce Brosnan volcano movie. That's that's how I celebrate being home. That's what I thought it was. Like, I got a text yeah. message saying you were going to see Dante's Peak at midnight, and I thought, the Pierce Brosnan movie? No. Yeah. There's got to be something so, else. There's got to be a better movie with that title that I don't know about. Crazy thing about this movie, Marty, it both fucks and is the worst thing I've ever seen. It kicks absolute ass and sucks shit simultaneously. It's incredible. It, like, so it opens... With, uh, like, as, as, a, as an establishing context, it opens with Pierce Brosnan and his wife running from a volcano explosion. And I don't know how else to say this. The volcano headshots his wife. Like, they're running from, from like, falling magma. And the volcano, inexplicably in the middle of all of this, shoots his wife in the head. Like, she gets taken out by a bullet to the skull and goes limp. And then for the remainder... Like, you think it's going to be, like, Pierce Brosnan uh, trying to survive a, a volcano or something. Pierce Brosnan is the Van Helsing of volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> he says at one point, like, he's introducing himself. He's like, he's like, I've been to Peru, Brazil, Hawaii, South America. I've been to, I've been to Asia. Anywhere where volcanoes are misbehaving, that's where I go. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like the, the Aquabats song Shark Fighter, except it's just volcanoes. He's, he's like, it's, it's straight up. He's talking about like, like the chief is trying to take him off the volcano case. And he's like, you need me. I'm the only one that can handle this. And this city is in danger. And it's like, he's going to fight the fucking volcano. And also he's romancing Linda Hamilton hardcore. And then for the entire second half, it's just like, like they spend no money for the first hour of the film. Like, it's just like. Pierce Brosnan talking about how much he hates volcanoes while also seducing Lim Linda Hamilton and, like, meeting her kids. And then for the last, like, 35 minutes, just they use all of their money. And, like, there's ash in the air and there's helicopter explosions. It's one of the most, like, incoherent things I've ever watched. It, it ruled. That was, uh... You, you, you know that yeah. we're gonna get a bonus episode, like, request for, for this movie now. 100%. I will go frame by frame describing Dante's Peak. I will do, like, opening, Pierce Brosnan doing naked push-ups, mad at his volcano. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have, like, an, a, a volcano rage meter going up and down throughout the entire... How mad is Pierce Brosnan at volcanoes at this point? And it never goes below a six. <laughs> he gets... He gets 
extremely <laughs> mad at volcanoes, the vague concept. Like, someone's like, Pierce Brosnan, how do you feel about volcanoes? He's like, volcanoes. <laughs> A vol- <laughs> There's the line, I shit you not. He's talking about his dead wife, and he's like, I loved her. She loved volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> great it's so great and the best part is like in the end when pierce brosnan is outrunning a volcano in a pickup truck he has the same level of emotional intensity as when he was meeting linda hamilton's kids like and it's not to say that like he's super chill when he's running through a volcano he's just super jacked up when he's meeting children he's like hello I'm coming, I have volcano running away energy. Nice to meet you, a very small Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It rules so hard. He just seethes with volcano rage throughout the entire film. Uh, Oh, that's a much better experience than I've had recently. I just got back. Yeah, how was your weekend, I just got back from four days in Iowa. Outside Mm -hmm. of Des Moines, Iowa. And I'm just going to say it. Iowa is the worst place I've ever been in my life. All right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Iowa. And, like, for all Iowans listening, please bear with me. For everyone listening, I need you to know that this is going to end cute. There is okay. there is a cute story at the end of this. But to do that, you have to get through all of this other stuff. I despise this place. It's, <laughs> it, you know, I, I, I'm, okay. I'm there because it's where my girlfriend is from. So I'm there with my girlfriend's family, who I'm going to say tolerates me at best. Uh, So there's... As we all do. There's, like, all that, right? But Iowa is nice. And I don't mean, like, oh, this is nice. I mean, like, the worst thing you can do in Iowa is not be a nice person uh, for a second. I That sounds great. No, That sounds good. No, it's it's a land of repressed emotions. Oh... I went to an amusement park, Adventureland. It's kind of shitty, and, like, all of their rides are filled with rust, and it feels like you should just get... I should have gotten my tetanus shot, my tetanus <laughs> booster, after I went to Adventureland. Uh, is that the one from the Jesse Eisenberg it's movie? A, it's that, yes. It is that one, except oh, okay. it's way shittier than it's portrayed, even in that film. Uh, and the first thing I saw at Adventureland was a literal Nazi! Oh! Like, I I get there, I pay in the gate, I walk in, and the first thing I see is just a dude sitting there uh, with a tattoo of a skull with a swastika emblazoned on the forehead in front of a uh, confederate flag. Awesome! Wow, that's like literally, that's, it feels like the universe kind of hitting the nail on the head He was a wearing bit, a huh? sleeveless shirt. <laughs> I mean, yeah, is there, there's no such thing as a Nazi not in a sleeveless shirt, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, because he was like, and he was just like, I'm gonna enjoy my day at Adventureland, I guess. <laughs> and I, I couldn't confront him, because like, if I confront him, I'm gonna be the one that's in the minority here. And as the only Jew in that entire state, I think I was the one in the minority. I went to the Iowa State Fair, and if you've been to a fair, it's that. It's just mm-hmm. bigger. It's it's like the biggest fair in the country. But that bigger doesn't make it any better. It's just more of a fair. And the things that you like about a fair are there, and the things you don't like about a fair are there. I've never been to a fair I didn't want the ability to escape from quickly, if necessary. Oh, yeah. Like, I've never been at a fair and been like... I I don't want to know where all the exits are. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of this deal. You know, I, I, I ate the Iowa fair food like I was a fucking person running for president. I ate some cheese curds. I saw a turning point. Did you eat fried butter? I did not eat fried butter, but I did see the butter cow. 
Oh, okay. All right. That's wait. There's a like a cow made of butter. Exactly, Daniel. <laughs> it, oh, okay. Because cool. every, That's... everything in this place is extremely literal. The butter cow is a statue of a cow made out of butter, made of frozen butter. And there's also other like statues around it. Every year they do a different theme. This year's was Sesame Street and public television. So I'm just looking at like All a right. giant big bird made of butter. Uh, oh, great. And, and the butter cow. Uh, this is so depressing. <laughs> is exactly that. I looked at it. I thought it would be a little bigger. They claim that it's the size of an actual cow, but I've seen live cows. As a matter of fact, I was looking at a live cow immediately before I saw the butter cow because I was at a fair. It's about three quarter mm-hmm. scale of a uh, actual cow. And it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's a cow made of butter. There's a pretty famous like Ted Cruz tweet. Not the porn tweet, but there's a pretty famous Ted Cruz tweet where, like, Ted Cruz is standing in front of the butter cow, like, wow, a whole cow made of butter. My girls love butter. My daughter's first word was butter. And the energy... Got shitty kids. The energy of that tweet just ruminates off of this fucking cow. And that's it. Like, but, but Iowans love this cow. Iowans are all about this cow and this fair and this thing you gotta see. And I guess... That would be a cool thing if you had never seen any cool thing in the entire world ever. That is such... It's like they're Little Sebastian from Parks and Rec, but worse! Yes, it's exactly Little Sebastian. And I was the Adam Scott going, I don't... It's just a cow made of butter. That's exactly it. Okay, but here's, here's something wholesome that we need to talk about. And that is baby goats in costumes. Okay. Uh, All right. This is the wholesome payoff of of your deep Iowa yeah, hate. Yeah, yeah. So the one part of the Iowa State Fair that I really did love was uh, I looked at the schedule and we saw that there was a goat costume contest uh, at, as one of the like exhibits, like the 4-H kids were doing. And I went and saw right, it. Right, right, right. And uh, it was as adorable as you expect. Um, there were there was a baby goat dressed up as a bee and his. Uh, person his little child it was like six or seven was dressed as a beekeeper it was adorable mm-hmm. but there are two kids in particular that i want to pay attention to uh there was like a it's probably better phrasing than that there, but keep there going was, it was like a whole pixar thing going on here because i we saw like an incredibles crew dressed up and dressed up their goats and whatever there was a like a like a toy story crew that did like a bo peep and and the cow or the sheep but this particular crew, these two kids, uh, came out and they had their goat. They put a like cardboard house all around and attached a bunch of balloons to this goat. So the goat was the house from up. And <laughs> That's actually pretty fucking great. <laughs> it was really funny. Oh, it gets better. And these two kids, one of them was dressed as Carl Fredrickson, who's just like just had an old man like mask and gl- or not mask, old man wig and glasses, and was like slumped over. And the other kid was in a uh, like a a Boy Scout uniform. These kids were probably like uh, ten or eleven, I will say. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it was two. I think they were sisters. Uh, and our host, who is just like some big dude in jorts, comes up and is like, hey, all right, what uh, what are you going to be? And these kids did not break character for a damn second. The Carl Fredrickson kid just yells at him, no! <laughs> Get off my lawn! He's just yelling at the host, and the host does not know what to do with this, so he hands the mic to the other kid, who takes out their junior wilderness guide and reads verbatim from the guide, good afternoon, my name is Russell. <laughs> 
I am a wilderness scout guy. And they do this bit five times and it never stops being funny. The kids are all going to be all right. I love these kids, but here's the thing. So they had a, the other thing that was nice about watching this is at the end of the line, there was a shitty kid, a shitty kid mm-hmm. and his stupid shitty brother who were dressed as golf version Trump and golf caddy no. Trump, and the goat was the wall. They put the wall on the goat. Oh no! And I saw these kids, and I was like, I'm not having fun with these goats anymore. But, uh, but, then we got to the part, and, and to the host's credit, the host did not, like, buy into this. He kind of made fun of them, and uh, kind of, like, mocked how shitty they were. This kid, though, did such an amazing Donald Trump. He acted like such a little shithead. And I couldn't tell after a certain point, like, are you, are you making fun of the guy? Did your parents just discover how good you are at being a fucking prick and put you up to... What is going on with this weird, Wait, shitty performance art? Shit, how much shit was there for these kids to do? Like, I, it's not, it wasn't just like, come up, here's my goat. Like, they have to do, like, competitions? Was this fucking American Idol? No, no, like, no, the kids just chose to do this. That's the thing. The kids could have just come up and were like, here's my goat. Most of them were. But it's just these, like, Battle of Good and Evil kids decided to just do this in character as a bit. And it was all the better for them. I mean, God bless you rural theater kids everywhere. You deserve better than this. Not the Trump kid. Fuck him. But Fuck that little turd. Fuck that little turd. Uh, Hope your goat eats you. <laughs> but, but the up kids. The up goat kids are my heroes. They were amazing. They, they did this bit so many times. Did not break character. I love them. I love you up kids and your house goat. Okay. That's, that. that's good. That's, uh, it's weird that my, the highlight of my week has been seeing Dante's Peak and somehow I had the better weekend. <laughs> oh, you definitely did. Cause you weren't in Iowa. God, to the people of Iowa, A, we're sorry. And B, if you would like to defend your great state, I guess, I, I guess come at Marty on Twitter. <laughs> Leave me out of it. <laughs> At, come at Schneid Remarks. Right, let's, let's get, get into it. today's episode. This is going to be kind of a longish one because this episode has some shit. Oh my god. Yeah, no, this episode opened hostile and is going to go out that way. Oh man. Fuck. This episode is nuanced and confusing and upsetting consistently. I'm, I'm glad that actually we mentioned the, sh- the shitty Trump kid because this is the fake news episode of the Andy yeah. Griffith Show. This is the most... Like, this episode has forced me to really establish what I believe in relation to law enforcement more than anything else, like, that we've done so far. Like, I came into this episode, like, I need to figure out what I believe in regards to some shit, because otherwise we're going to say a bunch of dumb bullshit in regards to this episode. Well, here's the thing, right? This episode finally calls out so much of the shit that we've called out the Andy Griffith Show for, and then does nothing with it. Well, no, it calls out the shit we've called it. Like, this episode, the bad guys in this episode agree with us wrong. They do a bad job. And the, like, the defense that Andy Griffith and Barney mount is... The dumbest shit I've ever heard. It's bad. They do, like, like, they say, okay, they basically make an argument in favor of arresting less people, but they do it 
for the wrong reason. The only way to get through this is to go through. All right, it. let's let's just jump right into this. So we're talking about season two, episode twenty nine, Andy on trial. Originally airs April twenty third, nineteen sixty two. Written by Jack Ellenson and Charles Stewart, and directed by big fan of the butter cow, Bob Sweeney. Sat on his testicles and blamed it on the pants, Bob Sweeney. Like the guy who played Mr. Belvedere? Yeah, but except he was like, ah, it's these new slacks. Here's your one-sentence summary from Wikipedia. J. Howard Jackson, a big city newspaper publisher. I'm, let's go ahead and stop right there. I want to just pay attention to J. Howard Jackson, a big city newspaper publisher. What uh-huh. an amazing bad guy name. It's You know what it is. It's those three J's, baby. It's, it, but it's, J. Jonah Jameson, J. Howard. Oh, no, no shit. Yeah, no, that's a, I, there's a Howard. It's a Howard. I just immediately went to J. Jonah no. Jameson and was like, I willed that H to be a J. <laughs> no, I get it. I did the same thing. J. Joward Jackson, uh, <laughs> a big city newspaper publisher, uses his attractive reporter to manipulate Barney to get Andy charged with malfeasance to get back at him over a traffic ticket. That is the most clauses that have ever been in one of these one sentence summaries. <laughs> yeah, no, there is so much in this fucking episode. We like we were thinking of doing a double header and then we watched the episode and we were like, no, we can't. We can't. There's so much shit. Okay, so so it has everything. It starts off in the big city. Uh I in ca- a big old skyscraper that they pan the fuck up on. Like, it's it's such a long pan up to just really establish the towering nature of J. Howard Jameson's, J. Howard Johnson's power. And and so in this big old skyscraper, Andy enters and he's wearing a suit uh, and he talks to the receptionist and uh, the receptionist is like, hi. Like, she, first off, we know that she's busy and this is important because she has to put uh, someone on the, on the phone on hold to talk to Andy. Uh, and... And he says, hey, can you uh, can you tell Mr. Howard Jackson that uh, I'm here? She's like, well, do you have an appointment? He goes, no, I'm, I don't have an appointment, but I appreciate if you would let him know that I'm here. She asks the receptionist question. Uh, she, you know, dials in, says, hi, Mr. Like, Her- Mr. Jackson, uh, there's an Andy Taylor here. Uh, and she asks him, what is this about? And he says, well, I'm here to arrest him. Yeah, but he's really nice. He's, like, polite about it. It's kind of a good scene because he's very mild-mannered and just, he's like, oh, you know, I'm just here to arrest him. And she, like, her eyes bug out. And then Mr. Howard, like, comes out. And he's, like, this big, how would you describe him? He's just sort of, like, like, picture a bad rich guy. Like, mustache, not very much hair, heavy, not necessarily fat, but heavy, second chin, stuffed into a suit. Yeah, just sort of stuffed into suit, and he's just like, Harumph, I'm J. Howard Johnson. I'm bad. Right. Basically, the story is that Johnson was driving through, uh, through Mayberry. He was speeding. He told Andy that he couldn't stop because he was late for a meeting, so Andy let him go on the condition that he would come back uh, to stand trial, and that was last Wednesday, and he, 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 never, he never came back. Yeah, so he's basically like grabbing him on a failure to appear charge. You know, he's basically dog yeah. the bounty bounty huntering this, and so he he enters the office. Uh, you know, Jay Howard is like, "Come on in, come on, boy. Let's we we can work this out." Apparently, he's Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, no, that's exactly what he sounds like. He's more like um, he he sounds like Stan from Frisky Dingo. If anyone's seen that show, like he always talks like this. Like, or more, he sounds like a, he sounds kind of like Sam the Eagle, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, and he's just yeah. kind of like, 
all right, well, I'll settle this up right now. He, he gets out his checkbook. Yeah, his whole thing is like, I just, I, I'll give you however much money you want. Just, I don't want to fucking deal with this. He, he probably could have gotten away with it, except he does say he, he shit talks Mayberry. In fact, he says the magic words. That pisses Andy the fuck off. The magic words, chicken thieves. I figure you got your hands full running down chicken thieves and curfew breakers. This is the second time they've used that. It's he like gets so mad about the chicken thieves. It's like his trigger word that turns him into the Incredible Hulk. Like he, he where he's just like, "Oh, I'm no longer I'm going to become um, extremely rigid from here on out." Yeah, like um, that that's that's the symbol, I guess. Yeah, so basically he wants to just like pay it in person and he's like, "No, you got to come to Mayberry and you have to sit through a trial." Uh, Johnson tries to bribe Andy, uh, and Andy's like, oh, you better not be trying to bribe me. You better be reaching for a comb right now, because I get real pissed when people try to bribe me. So, yeah, and then basically he, he arrests him. So up until this point, show's great, right? Like, Yeah, we're, we're still with this, and uh, Jay Howard is like, uh, get my lawyer, I'm going to Mayberry. Yeah, they're, they're like, like, I'm on board with the Andy Griffith show so far, like, one, Bad guy is a shitty fucking, like, rich guy who thinks he can buy his way out of everything. Great. Andy refuses a bribe. Awesome. Andy's, yeah, it's like, it's Andy versus rich guy. I'm on board. So, we get to the jail, and uh, Andy's sitting back in his chair, and he's got the sign in front of him that says Sheriff. And he says, well, I guess we can get started. Court is now in session. And he flips the sign over to say Justice of the Peace. We haven't seen this gag in a while. Yeah, no, they, I think, I thought they figured out that this was very alarming, and then they're like, no, uh, it's, it's back. Which, like, the second he did that, uh, Jameson should have been like, okay, well, there's my fucking leverage, because you just did a prop comedy version of Corruption. Yeah, like, he and his lawyer just glance at each other like, bwah Instead, they should have been like, alright, this is a kangaroo court, fuck you, we're leaving, if you try to bother us, we'll tell the co- we'll tell the newspaper about this the thing the bit of physical comedy you just did. And, and in fact, we've seen people do that before. We saw someone do that this season. Yeah, this is the first time this has come up, and she just refused to like like be bo- bossed around. Yeah, she, she stayed in jail for the entire weekend until a different judge would show up. Yeah, like you can you can just grind everything to a to a screeching halt where you're where you're just like, well, this is bullshit, which it is. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, instead, they go through this Rube Goldberg ass scheme to get back at Andy when he just like shows his belly in the first thirty seconds. Yeah, there's a lawyer in the room, and that lawyer should have just been like, oh fuck yeah, yeah. As presumably, he's a good lawyer because he's getting paid a lot, but apparently not because he won't. He's not allowed to say shit. Yeah, uh, which so why J- did you bring your lawyer? What the hell? Yeah, you're just gonna plead guilty immediately. So yeah, he, he pleads guilty, uh, and he's charged the fifteen dollar fine. And like the lawyer guy's like, all right, like the lawyer dude looks like he's about ready to pay. Uh, yeah, or Jay Howard goes, wait a wait a fucking minute, you dragged me all the way down here for a fifteen dollar fine honestly justifiable i would be pissed yeah he didn't even get charged for failure to appear yeah there was nothing about that yeah what the hell charge him for failure to appear he did okay jameson is an asshole throughout this is it jameson or johnson jackson 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 is an asshole 
uh, throughout this entire thing. Anti-Jackson, but he, like, Jackson should get fucking, like, screwed over because he's a piece of shit rich guy. But also, like, yeah, no, he did skip a court date because he thinks he's too important to go to the court date. Charge him for that! What are you doing just giving him a $15 fine and minorly inconveniencing him? Yeah, you could have mailed that to him. You could have billed his office if you weren't going to charge him for the thing that you arrested him for. Yeah, you're not wasting his time. You're wasting your own! Yeah. But this is all time that you could have been, like, being the sheriff and instead you left it in the hands of Barney Fife. And and so when when J. Howard Jackson does what he's about to do, it kind of makes sense because he says, oh, I'm sure, what was this for? Do, do you not have, do you have reporters around here? Because you brought in the big city publisher. Are you going yeah. for a re-election campaign? What the fuck is your deal here? Like, what was your plan here to just get publicity? And, of course, that pisses Andy off. Uh, so he kind of storms out. He's like, I'm going to get you. Someone's going to put you in your place. Yeah. Basically, it's like he his whole thing is like, all right, you're flexing on me. It's really weird that you have to have an ulterior motive to do it. And he's just like, no, I just did this to do it, which I'm a, again, I'm pretty. I'm still <laughs> pretty so much worse. <laughs> yeah, it's like I get it. I'm pro like making people do this bullshit. But also, yeah, you should have charged the guy more. You should have charged him for not appearing in court because that's the kind of shit that would get a, a, a poor person thrown in jail forever. It's just, if you were going to go through the trouble of doing that, fucking do it. Yeah, just go for it. If you're going to fuck with a rich person, fuck with them. Don't, like, don't just, like, minorly inconvenience them because this happens. He should have, like, put the guy in fucking jail. We get back to the big city. Now we're in Jackson's office. His his journalist, uh, whose name is Jean Jeannie. Boswell. Yeah. He Jean- calls her Jeannie. Everyone calls her Jeannie. Okay, so Jeannie Boswell uh, enters. Uh, and... He kind of asks, hello, are this you in is, a nosy mood? This is basically the thesis statement of the episode. This is where the episode goes from being like, fuck yeah, Andy, fuck up that rich guy, to being like, oh no, this is a different thing. This is a very bad thing. Like, like This feels like it was written as propaganda. Yeah, so this is a very anti-journalist episode, essentially. Extremely anti-journalist. This is like, journalists are the devil. Basically, so this has the line where he says, um, I want you to investigate Andy Griffith and find out how he's, uh, how he's bad. And he says, like, I want anything that can be twisted into an article. I want to pulverize him. And she says, well, you know, most small town sheriffs are notoriously honest. They're like shining knights. And, and he's like, well, then I want you to find the cracks in his armor. And you, you know who you know who's well known for being honest and ethical? Small town Southern sheriffs in the sixties. It is like it feels like like political propaganda. It is like it feels almost like you're watching something from like a Dinesh D'Souza movie, where yeah. like it's it feels like there's a bunch of scientists in a room and they're like. Oh, this is how we're going to fabricate global warming to defeat Donald Trump. But don't you know that Donald Trump is an honest genius? Well, with our, with, with, if we all lie about the scientific consensus, we can falsify this. Like, it feels insane. So, I have a couple of thoughts about this. Number one, I, I, I think it was you that said it, Dan, and I can't find a source on it, but I think it was you that said one of the original pitches for the Andy Griffith show, one of the original ideas, was that Andy would play a journalist. Yeah, he was basically going to be like Fletch. 
He was going to be like this rascal, like muckraking journalist who was going to uh, like like tear apart the system and uh, and and do shit like that. And then they flipped him to a sheriff. Oh man, the the like fringe like alternate universe where the Andy Griffith Show was about a journalist and not a cop is such a better universe. It's such a better life that those people are are living right now. I know. Because, like, remember, he had this, like, real subversive energy after uh, facing the crowd, where and instead he chose to be, he, he, he chose to be, you know, the Tom Hanks, like, pro-establishment dad. Um, well, not, 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 like, necessarily, like, like, uh, like a watered-down version of it. He, he chose, like, to choose this weird middle path of, like, pro and anti-establishment simultaneously. So, and I wonder, right, so this is not the first time we've seen a journalist come to town. Uh, it's not the first time we've seen a female journalist come to town. The writers of this show, Jack Ellenson and Charles Stewart especially, do not seem to have a high opinion of journalists. And they no. really do not have a high opinion of female journalists. No. And I wonder, I wonder if that stems from the blacklist. You know, uh, in Hollywood, all, during that period of time, probably the most famous journalist that these guys would know about and want to avoid like the fucking plague would be like Hedda Hopper who was, you know, a gossip columnist who was always looking for people to basically rat out and send to mm. the fucking HUAC committee. And she was huge. She was, like, well-known for, like, hanging around studios trying to, like, poke her nose into shit, kind of like this woman, and would, you know... Uh, and her name was well-known. And there were other, like, gossip columnists, because that was basically the only job a, a woman could have as a, in a newspaper office, if they were writing at all. Uh, and it really had a negative impact on a lot of uh, writers at the time. So I wonder, this is just me, like, speculating. I wonder if those ideas spin their way into the way that journalists, and especially women journalists, female journalists, are portrayed on this show. I don't know, but that's my working theory. I could see that, because there is sort of, like, the idea of journalists as predators. Sort of, it's it's almost a little bit of a Red Scare thing of, like, you never know. Is the person you're talking to a journalist who will use your your words against you to try to destroy someone? You you have to be on constant guard against journalists. Um, yeah, it's really. I mean, yeah, this is a a fiercely an, anti journalist episode, and it's kind of weird because I I can't say that the journalists are left wing necessarily. No, no, they yeah. they are in fact tools of the corporate establishment. Yeah. Um. Uh, could be a great argument against like corporately owned newspaper if you wanted to <laughs> yeah, they, which might be we're gonna have to figure this out like we're honestly going to have to figure out what the fucking mission statement of this episode is because it's very confusing it's kind of a rorschach test where you can kind of um you could sort of see this episode as really leftly left-leaning or really right-leaning depending on if you want to and before you like accuse us of overthinking this Dad, uh, before you get in on that, this episode is not a typical Andy Griffith show episode. This is one of their more dramatic. In fact, this episode becomes a courtroom drama with no laugh track at all for yeah. like the last eight, like ten minutes of it. So this is one of their like big heartfelt episodes. Yeah, this is basically the Andy Griffith show summarizing its entire relationship with the law. Like we've talked a lot about the Andy Griffith show's relationship with the law. Not usually in glowing terms, and this is basically the Andy Griffith show justifying that. The next scene are after Jay Howard has contracted the woman that works for him to go and spy on and Andy. She goes to Mayberry, mm -hmm. so 
uh barney's getting out of his squad car and genie waves him down uh mm-hmm. and uh well they're, well, both, they're, they're, they're both there they're both yeah, there. yeah yeah and and they both see her in it barney just like immediately gets i mean there's no really other way to put this barney immediately gets horny um and is like i'll handle this he and, and just like sort of strolls over to her another chance to cheat on my long-term girlfriend <laughs> we also have to talk about the cheating on the long-term girlfriend because this is the episode where that dynamic is the most stark and out in the open right uh because thelma lou is in this episode most yes. episodes where barney is trying to cheat on thelma lou they do not mention her by name uh it's i think they kind of try to create a thing of like oh for this episode thelma lou doesn't exist and barney is single just forget about thelma lou and in this one they're like oh yeah thelma lou exists she is barney's girlfriend and also barney wants to cheat on her right yeah they make that pretty clear uh so uh, barney goes over and he talks to this girl um who poses she's doing like a never been kissed basically she's posing yeah. as a as a college student not a high school student like a never been kissed but she's saying i'm a college gal who's in town can you tell me what's a good hotel for a girl alone and barney's just like well you got that one uh and it's the only hotel we got um what will you interview me for my college thesis i mean it's a very porno like opening. it really is like she's doing like a basically pot like paint by numbers seduction She's just like, I'm just a poor, vulnerable, naive woman, and I don't know where anything in the town is. Can you teach me things, big, strong man? It's almost like she's kind of phoning in this seduction a little bit. I mean, wouldn't you be? Yeah, basically. Uh, she's just like, I'm dumb. Teach me. And he's like, I am rock hard. I could chip Marvel right now. Let's also go ahead and figure, like, if she's playing a college student, She's like 21, 22. She looks like 35. She does look like 30. I looked it up, and the actress would have actually been 26 at this point. Oh, which I, feel I like found a dick now. No, no, dude. I had the same thought, and I think it was just like kind of in vogue for women to wear makeup that made them actually look older uh, at oh, this point. Okay. That was kind of a style uh, choice. I had the same thought. Um, but yeah, no, she's. Please still, don't cancel us. She's still playing 21, 22, and Barney's like. Ain't nothing wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's extra. This whole dynamic is like within this political thing, there's a super creepy dynamic of Barney trying to bang a college student. I have a little note here, like for Barney's behavior that just says, quit touching her arm. I want, so she's like, I want to interview you guys for the college thesis. And Barney's like, you're going to interview me for the college thesis. Uh, Does she say what her thesis is about? Is it like small town law enforcement or something like that? It's like the administration of law enforcement efforts. And he's like, well, I'm a part of the administration, so you should interview me. Uh, And then she's like, all right, cool. And then bounces, basically. And the, the, the fucking super creepy thing is they go inside the jail. And Barney just goes, uh, well, you know, uh, oh, these kids are so naive and don't really know how the world works. And, you know. You know, they, they, they're they eager to learn, and they're, they're, you know, they're kids, they're young, they're, uh, they're eager to learn. Don't God, stand, she's cute. Don't yeah. stand so, don't stand so close to me. Like, yeah, he Real fucking Lolita shit on this one. Extremely. He talks about, like, how naive she is, and then how attractive she is in rapid succession. And Andy is just like, oh yeah, it's, it's, the cause of education is a noble endeavor. 
especially when the cause is pretty cute. Uh, but he's not like, um, he's not like saying that as like, I agree. He's sort of saying it in a way of like, you're a fucking creep. Uh, like Andy is genuinely teasing Barney for being into what he thinks is a child. Lolita, light of my life, <laughs> fire of my loins, Lolita, my sin, my soul, the tip of the tongue, Andy, taking a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth. Yeah, I can do it too, erotic Don Knotts, we don't need you. Yeah, you're redundant now. Please stick around till the end of the episode for part three of our fanfic starring Erotic Don Knotts. Also, sorry if uh, if hearing the sound of Don Knotts saying the opening from Lolita caused your genitals to cease functioning. We totally understand, and you can bill us for the medical expenses. Those some things something shut down from you saying that. Oh God! Imagine that movie starring. Don Knotts. Imagine that. That would have like leveled cities. So they're 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 talking about uh, him being horny for a child, and then Jeannie, Ms. Boswell, enters. And Barney basically what happens after that is Barney gives her a tour. And then the tour sucks. <laughs> and then the tour is over. <laughs> yeah. Barney's like, there are jail cells, these are our guns, this is some stuff. And then he's, like, emasculated by how little he has to show her, right? There, like, There is a very good shot that I really like, and I'll probably, like, take a screenshot of it. And that's the shot where Aunt Barney is by the gun rack, and uh, he starts, like, talking. And the way that it's positioned, Barney is in the foreground, and he's looking kind of off to the left. And he's bragging about how big things are going to get. Uh, how they're gonna get like yeah yeah I chose those words intentionally I know He's yeah it's such a about how big it's gonna get and there's gonna be expansion and there's gonna be like a gym and extra water cells and in the background like in like the back like bottom right corner is Andy who is just like slowly turning his head and just <laughs> laughing his ass off and just staring at him. It's a very good shot. Just well done all around. Uh, Barney is, you can't really come up with a more over the plate metaphor than the fact that Barney is emasculated because a woman is unimpressed by his gun rack. It's yeah, it's dead on. Yeah. It's like she, he just shows her the gun. He's like, these are the guns. And she's like, Oh, Cool. And he's like, I need to do literally anything to reassert my value as a man. Anything. Literally anything. So he... That's how I felt in all of Iowa. I was the girl being led around by my arm going, huh. Okay. Yeah. You feel like you were... Do you feel like you emasculated Iowa? (laughs) I do. Uh, Yeah, so... Um, they go to the cafe where Barney proceeds to do anything to, uh, to assert his masculinity. Um, she basically does the, the magic phrase where she says that Barney seems more like the sheriff than Andy because he wears the regulation uniform and his shoes aren't dirty. And Barney sees his in. Yeah, so just like the last episode we talked about, Barney's like, oh, well, I can exploit Andy's weakness for my gain. Uh, and he basically starts talking a mess of shit. Uh, he says that if he were in charge, he would be stricter about certain things. Um, uh, Andy doesn't write. Ru- Andy does not run a 
taut ship. Why is it taut? What? what why are tight. they saying? The they phrase is tight ship. It's insane. What universe is this from where they say taut ship? That doesn't even make any sense. And it's and it's not just him fucking up. Like the joke isn't that he's saying tight ship wrong. Everyone else is like, yes, taut ship, normal, agreeable term. Like how can doesn't make shut up. Yeah. Like, stupid, stupid thing to say. I hated it, and they <laughs> kept saying it, and it made me annoyed every single time. So, so Barney's uh, evidence that Andy sucks and he should be the sheriff are that uh, he model co- Molly coddles everyone in the town, including Otis, the town drunk. Which, uh, yeah, and he gives away that uh, the town drunk comes and goes as he places, checks himself in and checks himself out. Barney, the uh, Barney will sometimes write up Emma Watson for jaywalking, uh, and it, Andy will say no, and he'll just tear up the ticket and then just drive her home because she's an old lady. By the way, by the way, I have good news, Dan. Yeah. According to the ultra reliable Mayberry Wiki, this is the last time Emma Watson is ever referenced in the show. Boom! She's gone. Never have to hear that voice again. It's the worst voice I've ever heard in my life. So, For people who are jumping on now, there is a character whose voice sounds like a cat stuck in a garbage disposal. She tormented us for most of season one, and we're free. We've been, like, dreading her return. Like, no. she's Apocalypse in the X-Men. No, she's been banished, dude. She's been banished to the negative zone, like Zod. Great. Great. <laughs> Rest in, I guess... Peace, Emma Watson. Rest in something. Rest in a solid stone sarcophagus that we've placed many heavy things on top of. Uh, all right, so she's gone. Anyway, so so he's mad that like his jaywalking tickets get ripped up. Mad that they mollycoddle Otis, and then he says, "One time I needed the squad car, and I was about to go on patrol, and he was delivering groceries in the squad car." Yeah. And basically he says, like, yeah, he's misusing resources, he's light on the town. And she's like, oh my word. Uh, and then it hard cuts to the jail. So we can just assume that Barney made a move for some over-the-pants stuff and it didn't really work out. Enter Ronnie Howard. This is a weird little bit of vamping. So Opie comes in uh, and he's like, hey dad, you want to hear a joke? And he's like, yeah, sure, tell me a joke. And then he forgets the jokes so he has to have done or has to have Barney whisper in his ear. Oh, yeah. Ask me if I took a bath this morning. OK, did you take a bath this morning? Why is there one missing? And cut on Ronnie Howard. Bye, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, he's just like they're. Just, yeah, they were like, we we're paying this kid this fucking money, regardless of if he's in the episode. We don't have anything for him to do. Just give him a, a literal knock knock joke. I guess. Fuck it. Like. Like, what? It's incredible. Like That's th- it. That's his only scene in this entire episode. He must have a thing in his contract that he has to be in every single episode, because otherwise, why the fuck would you do this? No, because we've seen episodes without him, but it's just like, like, why? 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 Why would you do that? It's just like a weird speed bump in the show where it's just like, what's happening? Okay, I guess bye, Ron Howard. I guess you just did a drive-by on this episode. <laughs> Like, it's like Ron Howard didn't even get fully out of the car to tell the joke. They just, like, drove him through the sea. <laughs> he does a good job of the joke, I guess. Like, he sells it. Um, so, okay. So, so, so then finally, uh, a very, very serious-looking man enters. This He is a, we talked about Sam the Eagle before. This is a Sam the Eagle motherfucker. He has, like, big, powerful eyebrows, square jaw. 
like 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 powerful nose. He looks like Sam the Eagle. He's, he's like, "Hello. I am I'm the I'm the lawyer." Yeah, he's Roger Milton from the state attorney's office. I'm Roger Milton. I only eat un- unseasoned toast for breakfast. I've ejaculated 3 times in my entire life. I'm a very serious <laughs> man. Uh and he's there and uh, Andy says, well, what can I do for you, Mr. Uh, Hilton? What did I just say his name was? Uh, Milton. Milton. What can I do for you, Mr. Milton? And and uh, Milton's first, like, first, the beach is for hippies and should never be attended. And second, I'm here to suspend Andy. Yeah, he pulls out this uh, newspaper article out of his pocket. It's like, can you explain this? And so they, they read the article, which is like, uh, does the town or does the sheriff run the town or does the town run the sheriff? And it details essentially what a bad cop Andy is. Just like goes over yeah. how shit, which I think if I was like in a big city newspaper, if I lived in Raleigh and yeah. I saw this <laughs> like, in newspaper, who? I'd be like, like, <laughs> like, if you read an article, I was like, this sheriff is too nice. <laughs> be like, what? <laughs> What? This what? Is where, Why? This is where my news is supposed to be. Which, okay, so there is actually, there is precedent for this because the old owner of the New York Times used to, uh, like, like I think it was, um, Salzberger, um, who's, it's now owned by his kid. Um, he used to have something called Yellow Notes, where, uh, they would, like, submit to him what they wanted the news to be, uh, like, this, this week. And he would say, all right, here's some notes. And he would, like, write, like, sticky notes on them. And the notes would sometimes be like, there's a pothole on my street. I want you to investigate why that hasn't been fixed yet. And so, like, a reporter would have to write an article on why there was a pothole in front of the owner of the New York Times house. And then it would just go in the newspaper. And he would try to use that to, like, to, like enforce his personal agenda. So, like, I think that's just kind of always been a thing of, like, Oh, so this is what the owner of the newspaper is pissed about this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like The newspaper men have a long and and proud history of being ridiculously petty to this yeah. fucking day. Yeah. So, you know, I, it makes sense. But I feel like if I was still, like, a subscriber to the Raleigh Tribune or whatever, I would still be like, who fucking cares? Yeah. Like, like I'm going to definitely not, like, how many people could have possibly read that article? You gotta, I, I'm not going to read this shit. I'm going to skip straight to the comics so I can see Andy Cap joke about beating his wife. Like, yeah. I got some crosswords to do. <laughs> I have, I have to read whatever was the preamble to Garfield. Fuck off. Gotta see what Mark Trail is up to these days. <laughs> yeah, Milton is like, I want to read Mark Trail. Give me the newspaper back. <laughs> I had my nipples surgically removed because they're obscene. I'm Milton. By the way, I'm glad we did this because I haven't gotten to talk about newspaper comics in a while. So yeah, check that off of your Breaking Mayberry bingo card. <laughs> Uh yeah, go, I get, and also get breaking Mayberry bingo cards. We're selling them on. <laughs> we're selling them online. Um, yeah. So uh, basically, along the line, the the implication of the article is that Andy does not enforce the law or forces it extremely selectively, and as a result, uh, uh, the 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 law in Mayberry is compromised. For um, evidence, see this entire podcast. Yeah. No. Okay. So. Basically, well, let's let's take a beat because right now 
We are on Milton's side. Am I wrong? hundred percent with Milton. hundred percent on his side on this one. Like, like the, this is everything we've ever talked about. Yeah. Well, but, okay. So it's kind of, it's sort of a thing where we're in between a rock and a hard place because, uh, like Milton is sort of like, how dare you not arrest everyone for everything? Like, how dare you not arrest an old woman for jaywalking and then put her in jail and make her walk home? Like, what is wrong with you? And meanwhile, Andy is like, oh, you know, I'm going to let my gut decide whether or not I'm going to send this person to jail. Uh, like, so we're kind of, it's an alien versus predator situation because I don't want Milton to be right because that's worse. But also, Andy has basically made himself the dictator of the town by deciding when the law should be enforced. So, I mean, this is why you you have more than one person in a chain of command. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, Andy is now suspended, uh, and Barney is acting sheriff uh, for the duration until the trial, which will be tomorrow. Uh, yeah. And this is how you know it's a serious situation, is that Barney is not excited to be the sheriff. He specifically says, don't call me the sheriff. Okay, so let's let's take a beat before the actual trial of Andy Griffith. Uh, so let's take a moment. Marty, what is our case against Andy Griffith as a sheriff? Like, you and me, after everything we've seen, what what, what would we level against him? I what, mean, what witnesses would we call? How would we prove that this man should be removed from office? Oh, okay, okay, shit. I wish you had, like, like told me about this beforehand, so, uh... I would. Go it off. Go off the cuff. Come on, man. Come on. Okay. Well, we, number we've one, been, we've number been one, we, for this day one, our entire lives. Number one, we can call in that assistant district attorney who mathematically proved that Andy was lying about his uh, arrest numbers. Yep. Uh, he proved that there was more crime in the town than they were reporting, uh, and uh, they, they, yeah, they weren't uh, actually enforcing the law very effectively. Uh, I would call to the stand Rafe Hollister a million times. Uh, yeah. Mr. Hollister, have you or have you not shot at this man numerous times? Well, yeah. I guess I have. Mr. Hollister, are you in prison right now? <laughs> <laughs> have you? Okay, let's let's also say this. Have you shot at anyone besides the sheriff? Have you shot anyone that was near the sheriff? Perhaps a civilian who was there to give you medical supplies? Well, I guess I've done that. All right. And what did the sheriff do when you did that? Told me to cut it out. <laughs> Gave me a stern talking to. Uh, all right. So who else? Who else we got? What other? What other charges are we going to level against Andy Griffith? Child endangerment. Uh, can you can you cite any instances on that? Yes. The time that a man came into his house and swung a shotgun. No, I'm sorry. The time that he did absolutely nothing to stop his deputy from waving a gun in his son's face. Right. Numerous times. Yeah. Uh, you could also cite the time that he kidnapped a child by oh, accident. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay. What else? Who Who else can we call? Hang on a second. I'm just going to go to our SoundCloud page and look at our titles real quick. <laughs> okay. So I would call. Oh, my God. Surprise witness. The courtroom becomes quiet. Ellie? Ellie's back. And she's here to prove that, oh, my God, Andy organized a conspiracy to prevent her from holding an office in city council. Oh, wow. No, 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 no. Ellie does not take the stand, my friend. And you know why Ellie doesn't take the stand? Because she would incriminate herself. Because Ellie can also take the stand that she was an accessory to a fake crime. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, because, she would leave that out, but she could totally talk about like, oh yeah, one time I was running for city council and my boyfriend organized a uh, a concerted financial effort to prevent all the women in town from voting. Uh, who else we got? Who else we got? Um, so let, let's lead into the bar. Let's lead. Let's go Hello, to the man himself. Hello, I'm a guy from Oregon and they pulled me over and put some pickles in my car and told me to go away. I, yeah. I don't know that that's illegal, but it was weird. Was massively inconvenient. Um. Oh, uh, let's see. One of the many, many people that have seen Don Knotts fire a loaded gun into the ceiling, ground, or near a person's head. Oh. Oh. How about his recent prison labor usage? Oh yeah. Yeah. How yeah. about what? Otis Campbell, the guys he arrested in a recent episode and forced to clean his house? You could call to the stand Ben Weaver. <laughs> Ben oh, Weaver's God. got so much shit on this dude. Yeah, Ben Weaver, who is whose entire deal is going up and be like, "You're breaking the law," and and Andy's like, "Yeah, but shut up." Uh, uh Mister Mister the Barber, is it true that this man has helped you extort thousands of dollars out of your barbershop? Oh, for all, I don't know. <laughs> oh, God, just a simple barber. <laughs> uh let's see yeah so there are the times oh there are the times he's forced people to donate things using his uh using his office uh there have been multiple people that have pointed out that he uh that just by employing bar uh, barney he is grossly violating protocol oh and and can we just talk about the fact that your your honor as exhibit a i would like you to reach across the desk and look at the name placard that is here yeah. Now please okay. look at the other side of that placard. <laughs> yeah. But I the prosecution rests your honor. <laughs> yeah. So we basically have the situation where uh, where Andy selectively enforces the law, not based off not ne- like partially based off of a sense of morality, but also based on his immediate interests. He doesn't arrest a hobo who's who's stolen from the entire town. Because he just wants him out of the town and stop wait, influencing wait, his wait, boy. Wait, 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 That hobo literally did steal a chicken. Yeah, that he did. did steal a chicken. He actually does chase chicken thieves. He caught a chicken thief and then let him go, not making him do anything to repay the people that he had stolen from because he didn't want to upset Opie, who liked the hobo. Uh, like, wait, so he's, he's genuinely bad at the thing that they make fun of him for being. He hired his cousin, uh, Barney Fife, who is unable to hold a gun, but loves holding a gun. And when he holds a gun, he accidentally fires it. Uh, he organizes political conspiracies. He has framed people for crimes they did not commit. Uh, he's done entrapment. Uh, he uses his office to sort of enforce a political agenda. So we would level. We have a lot we have, of cases we against have a, him. A, an airtight case against this guy. Yeah, yeah. Basically, and along the lines of he is also abusing his role as justice of the peace, in addition to sheriff. Yeah, corruption case, easy. Yeah. Uh, okay. I would call to the stand the lawyer from earlier in this episode who yeah. saw that. Who saw that? Like, hey, get over here. Do you see that thing happen? Yeah. <laughs> oh. But instead, instead, what happens, Dan? Okay, so their big move is that uh, the, the the prosecuting attorney, Milton, 
who uh, has only eaten a diet of saltine crackers since he was 13 years old. He ate a piece of candy once, and he feels shame to this day. He calls did not, did not care for it. Did not did not care for it. He that, he, he, he found it what, too miss, sweet. Mister Worthers, you can keep your originals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he ate a strawberry one time and was like what am I a sexual deviant <laughs> so his big move is that he calls Barney Fife to the stand and he basically he pulls him to the stand and he reveals through dramatically calling Jeannie in that Barney was the source of the article and then he just basically goes through the article Line by line, he says, did you say this? And Barney's like, yeah. And he's like, did you say this? Yeah. Did you say this? Yeah. And then a fucking, and, 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 and then it's over. And then he's like, case closed. I've shown that Andy helps people in town and he doesn't arrest people for minor infractions. Uh, and he, those two things, those are the only two things I'm, uh, I'm mad at him for. Uh, and then he walks away and allows his hostile witness to deliver a stirring speech in Andy's defense. So the big speech is, sure, I said all those things. Sometimes I get carried away with myself. Get to bragging. One of my fail, one of my faults, I'm sure. Sure didn't think it was going to backfire. Andy's my best friend in the whole world. And you know what? He's the best sheriff in the whole world. So, so far, this, this, this big speech is bullshit. He's just like, I said those things, but I didn't think that they'd have consequences. And also, I like him. Uh, and then after that, he's like, so what I didn't tell you, because I'm a piece of shit, is that when Andy was delivering groceries, they were to Emma, because she was too sick to go into town. Uh, and in the small town like this, the sheriff isn't just a sheriff, he's a friend. And also, if you want to see how good of, of a sheriff he is, take a look in the record book. Because our crime statistics are really low. Uh, there ain't been a major crime committed in this town since Andy's been sheriff. And if the, the only crime that would happen is, if, is that there would be a riot if he was removed from office. And then he says, like, the big thing that Andy's been trying to teach me that I haven't learned is that when you're a lawman and dealing with people... You go, do a lot better when you go less by the book and more by your heart. Uh, Mr. Ludwig, I, I have some notes. Um, <laughs> uh, stirring monologue. Excellent choice. Way, way to play to your strengths. Um, I, I feel that the editorializing was a little bit rough. Uh, your delivery, it doesn't take enough risks. Uh, I, I feel that you didn't allow yourself to get lost in the character of Barney Fife. Uh, I, I think that we, you could do better. I, thank you for attending this acting class. That's clearly the bit that I'm doing. Uh, I'm, uh, so, um, uh, I think just I, go further. Just, just go into the story, Daniel. You right, can right. do this, Daniel. All right, all right. No, don't I, fucking do it. I don't want to hear this. I story. was going to do it again. I mean, I can go again. I was just trying to get through the damn speech. No, no. no. I, I can do it. I can do it. Uh, sure. I said all them things. Sometimes I get carried away with myself. No, I'm not actually no, doing it. This I'm... is Daniel Ludwig reading for extra number three. Uh, I'm going to be doing the monologue from one episode of Andy Griffith's show. Sure. I said all them things. Sometimes I get carried away with myself. Got to bragging. One of my faults. Thank <laughs> you. Okay, all right. It's, I'm represented by Lewis and Lewis Talents. 
And so ends our only attempt at improv. <laughs> Hope you guys liked it because it's never happening never again. Never doing that again. Uh, um, okay, okay. So here's the thing, right? I have a okay. note. I have okay. a fucking note here. No, no. The yeah. whole fucking thing, the whole conclusion that Barney draws is that, yeah, sure, Andy bends the rules all the time and just kind of treats his town willy-nilly. But he's good at it, and he's nice about it. And uh, yeah, sometimes in a small town, you do you should not go by the book, and you should go by the heart. Okay, okay, Barney. But this whole fucking thing started because Andy refused to bend the rules for this other guy. Yeah. Hey, no. The the whole reason you're here is because Andy went by the book. Yeah, Andy decided that he was going to be extremely rigid because, for one guy because the guy pissed him off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he didn't like the look of a guy, so he was he, he didn't cut him a break, which is Andy wielding un, like unfair power over human beings, where he can so decide to selectively enforce the law based off of who calls him a chicken thief. Which is a, a problem that cops have, where they can pick and choose when to enforce the law based off of how polite you are during a traffic stop. Yeah. Like, like you should be able to be mean to a cop and, and not have more law enforced on you than if you, if you weren't. It, it shouldn't be like a customer service thing where, like the, where being like super polite to the cops is the equivalent of tipping, where you're going to get let, like worse service. And, but, but, and, and somehow this rousing speech, this speech which is basically just like, I like this guy, and doesn't disprove anything that he just said, and in fact confesses to all of it, uh, the the state attorney is still like, eh, do you have any other evidence? And Milton is like, why would I have evidence? Le the library is for communists. Why what am I supposed to do? Investigate this case? Then will I find time to put cigarettes out on myself for dirty thoughts? <laughs> Fucking, but yeah, no, he has nothing else. Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's so just, He's just like, is there any evidence besides what's in this article? And Milton's like, no. And they're like, right, fine, case closed. You're what? the worst lawyer what? ever. You were You're the worst, worst lawyer. state attorney's office. The state attorney. Go outside and ask anyone. Yeah, investigate. Hire someone to investigate the sheriff. You're he's made so many enemies. You this is insane. You're so bad at your job. Call How is more than one witness? There's at least three people in the fucking room. I don't know. Why don't you call the reporter to the stand? Why don't you call the person that hired the reporter to the stand? Why you're don't you talk to the person who did the investigation instead of I don't know, the guy that you're investigating's best friend? Yeah, an openly hostile witness. A guy that did not know he was going to be a witness for you and does not want to be there. Like, insane. He's the worst at his job. Like, you could... Like, if, if you did a law case for, like, removing a comptroller from office and you called one witness, they'd be like, oh, it's crazy how fired you are. You're... You're supernaturally bad at this. Calling multiple witnesses is the bare minimum of what you have to do. Like, he's trying to unseat a law official from his elected position. And it's like he did this in an afternoon. Just put zero effort into it. It's crazy. Okay, so I want to talk about Barney's defense. 
Because the big thing they hit on, they don't even hit on Andy not arresting people that hard. They hit on Andy delivering groceries and using the cop car for personal use. And Barney's Barney's whole thing is like, it's that Andy Griffith libertarian thing of like, well, you gotta go by your gut and make decisions that involve not arresting people or not enforcing the law when you don't feel like it. Horseshit. Bad argument. What he could have said is that Andy is is using the cop cart to basically do community outreach to head off crime. He's working to reduce the, to basically ensure that crime won't happen rather than reacting to it, which would, which would have been a great defense. But instead he's just like, Hey, you know what our, you're, you're accusing us of breaking the rules. You know what our defense is? The rules suck. <laughs> Yeah, and then the the judge is like, well, you know, as a physical manifestation of the rules, when you've decided to just show me your butthole in court, I'm going to have to just agree with you. I do suck shit, and my job shouldn't exist. (laughs) Clank, clank. I'll... Well, fuck off now. Goodbye. Like, yeah, so Milton died on the way back to his home planet. I must go and regenerate in a case of mayonnaise. <laughs> like it's the wax baths in the movie Wanted. <laughs> Fucking so stupid. Like, you could, it's literally, it's it's kind of that thing the Andy Griffith show does where it like, it discusses a problem wrong. It... I was so frustrated with everybody because I was like, both sides are stupid and wrong. And I hate both. And then their arguments against each other are stupid and wrong. Like, it sucks so bad. You okay, buddy? You got me with that mayonnaise one. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking little known fact about Marty, people. He fucking loves an allusion to the James McAvoy movie Wanted. Uh, yeah, alright. So, yeah, they suck shit. Everyone in this courtroom sucks shit. It's just, oh, everything about this is just a complete waste of everyone's time. Which the, the judge is like, hey, Andy. Sorry we wasted your fucking time. And it's like, you did all of this. You drove down here, and you guys are going to, like, Go literally ten minutes. Is gas free? Yeah. In North Carolina? What the fuck? And literally, they're like, someone should have, like, the reporter could have gone like, hey, by the way, his deputy's a fucking moron who gave me up very important information because he was horny. Let's maybe tug that thread for 30 seconds. His, his deputy, by the way, told me where cop cars are on a regular basis. And also that it's easy to break the law here. He uh, probably would have let me hold a gun if I had asked. Yeah. If I'd let him feel me up, he would have let me pistol whip an eight-year-old. Like, maybe... Maybe check that out. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Like, and she said that everyone's just like, I'm scowling. And she's like, I'm, and she honestly does not look like, she's just like, I don't understand why I'm fucking here. Yeah, no, she got paid. She didn't give a shit. And besides yeah. Dan, they're not going to put her on the stand because then they have to accept, accept the testimony of a woman. My God. They, <laughs> they can't they, fucking they, do that. 
insanity how right. how how does j howard jackson not just burn down the fucking town after this yeah he like i am i imagine he had to like like and then the big thing is like yeah you can't you can't destroy everybody big city media man so basically the, i'm yeah. imagining a scenario where j howard jackson just loses it he just gets up and just calmly walks across the room and just open palm slaps Barney in the face and knocks him to the ground and then hits him again like it's that scene in There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Okay, so there's so much here. So, all right, let's just do the stinger real quick and then we can talk about our feelings. Um, (laughs) What have we been doing thus far? I don't know. So we got to talk about the media thing because there's definitely like a preamble to fake news here. Uh, uh, So Um, so the the stinger is that Barney, like, they're back in the jail, the trial's over. Andy Sheriff again, and he like, Barney says, alright okay, punch me in the face, it's okay you can do it, punch me in the face for and then I yelled, I yelled from my living room, do it and Fucking punched a it. hole clean in my wall do it how does Barney still have a job holy yeah. shit, like the, the, the greatest evidence in a case against uh, yeah. Andy is that, can the, can the state fucking appeal now what? yeah, and there's like and Andy should just be like, so how much do you talk shit on me when I'm not in the room? Because that was a stranger who was writing a report, like, in her cover story. Right. She Here's was writing about us. Even though he knew that, even though she didn't know that she was a journalist, he knew that they were going to write a fucking paper. Yeah. So, like, she was going to turn in her term paper how how Andy Griffith is a big dumb shithead. And, and why, uh, Barney Fife's dick is awesome. Like, that was, like, like that's what he was, the, 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 the thing he was trying to do. Like, and, and Andy should be like, yeah, man, I guess you, you say that you're my best friend, but also you're constantly trying to undermine me to make yourself feel better. Yeah, at what point has Barney been a good friend to Andy? I guess you're supposed to take that last little monologue that Barney gave as evidence that they're friends, but that was getting out of a situation that was entirely Barney's fault. Yeah. Uh, so in in short, Andy should punch him, and then and Bar- Andy Barney just basically says like, "Yeah, if I ever get carried away like that again, uh, you know, punch me in the nose." And he's like, "Yeah, sure, man." Uh, and then the phone rings. Thelma Lou calls. Thelma Lou Barney- exists in this episode. Yep, Thelma Lou is canon in this episode. So this is an episode where Barney got Andy into trouble by trying to cheat on his girlfriend that loves him very much. So I don't, and the it's crazy because like, I don't think I've ever seen a TV show where there is a primary character that I am supposed to like who is cheating on his girlfriend and it's fine. Like right ever. I can't think of a single example. Zach Morris. I never watched Saved by the Bell. Is That's that... okay. There's there's an entire series called Zach Morris's Trash just dedicated to investigating this. So Awesome. Uh that sounds like a great show that you guys should put on after this. I don't know. But it's it's crazy. So he starts bragging to his girlfriend about how great he did at giving Milton the runaround. Um he kicked his ass in court and saved Andy's bacon. And then Andy puts Barney's hat in front of his face and pinches his nose, which it was deeply unsatisfying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So 
We didn't really talk about the media thing, which I think we should figure out real quick. It's because they kind of drop it, right? Yeah. Once we get to the trial, it's no longer about this journalist, which, look, I don't know a whole lot about journalism, but I got a feeling that journalists are not allowed to just fucking lie to you about who they are. No, that's they have to tell you that they're a journalist and that the conversation is on the record if right. they're going to quote you in an article. Um. They are very explicitly not allowed to do this thing, but they make it seem like, yeah, they are, and that journalists are psychopaths. And, I mean, so they basically have the scene where two journalists sit in a room and say, Mwahahaha! and then nothing else for, like, ten minutes, where they just, like, do bellowing Dr. Evil laughter, and, and then they move on to other shit, and it really feels like something that was inserted in, where they're just like, hey... Do a bit about how journalists are the fucking devil. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of weird because it, it feels like you could have set, like, this entire point of this episode was the trial of Andy Griffith. And it feels like there's a million fucking ways you could have done that, as yeah. we just demonstrated. But they set up this this journalist angle for no reason, essentially. And it's Which... the first 15 minutes of the episode. And it definitely, like, it's sort of, I think this was a seed of the fake news thing. Because, like, when someone, when, when Republicans started saying that the, uh, that, like, the, the media could not be trusted and was evil and liberal and enforcing a political agenda, that, like, went off like wildfire. Like, that did not require a lot of work to sell. And I think this shit is kind of why, where, like, people grew up seeing the media as being like, oh, yeah. They're just all, like, people who are, like, Mr. Jackson, who want to just, like, crush small-town sheriffs, who are godly saints! Like, also, they, they established that there is no such thing as a bad small-town sheriff, which is crazy. And, and be like, well, everyone knows, including us, the devil, that small-town sheriffs are perfect, pure angel beings. It's so frustrating because, like, you should be able to criticize, like, yeah, it's a bad idea for, like, corporate publishers to own journal to own newspapers. That's a terrible fucking idea. Yeah. You should be able to criticize that. And this show almost does that and then takes a hard left and, like, all journalists are fucking evil. Yeah. it's, It's really weird because it's very hard to do nuanced criticism of the journalism profession. Because they really... Like, they re- really hammer Jeannie as pure evil. They really do. They yeah. show her as like a fucking serpent. Uh, you know, we're we're still like 15 years apart from uh, Woodward and Bernstein. Right now, journalists aren't really heroes. Yeah. Uh, and we go through a period of time in the 70s and 80s where like we're making movies about journalists now because they took down the president. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's really, yeah. This is a very pre-Watergate episode, which is amazing. Extremely. Let, um, let's wrap this shit up. We want to do some fucking ratings. Let's get into some fucking ratings. Um, how good is this episode, Andy Meter? I don't, I don't know how to judge it. I think the Barney Meter is. There's so much Barney Meter happening that it's, uh, it's hard to kind of judge the quality of it. I mean, there's, it's engaging. Definitely. I was glued. I didn't drift off at a moment yeah, I, of this episode. I, this is the first episode where, like, I watched it and then immediately I went back and watched it again. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a, it's a good episode, not necessarily for good reasons. 
I mean, uh, Don Knotts gives a great, not great speech. Don Knotts gives a pretty good speech. The acting is all good. Um, the opener is really tight where Andy like comes in and he's like, Hey, you know, I'm just here to arrest you. It's a, it's a solid moment. It's not very funny, but it's, it's, it's tight. It's dramatic. This is not a funny episode. No, this is a dramatic episode. I'm going to put it at like a seven. Uh, all right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna go with like it. Uh, I'll go with a seven too. We uh, always agree. Uh, uh, we're so we're so suggestible. Let's do fucking uh, my Barney, Barney. meeting. I I feel like I have to put it at a nine, just because there's so much stuff that like stacks up. This nine is actually three three threes sitting on top of each other. Yeah, in a trench coat. Like so, you know what it is? Is that this is a for anybody other than anybody that hasn't been following along the show so far? This is a four. Nothing very, nothing really bad happens in this episode. This is only a bad episode if you've seen the things that we've seen, because it is the most. It's it's just yeah. It's it, you have to have all the knowledge of all the horrible shit that Andy has done. Because none of the actual horrible shit he's done is in this episode, right? And I, so I think if you just go by this episode, it is a it's it's a five because it demonizes the media. But but for the perspective of you and me who have seen all this shit, I'm gonna give it a nine. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. Pair of nines. Um. All right. Uh, so that that's it. We're good. Uh. This was a a fucking rough one, folks, for us. Uh, if you want to, like, correct My us... My is up right now. I'm sweating. Remember, you can get us on the internet on Twitter. We are at BreakMayberry. Facebook.com slash BreakingMayberry. BreakingMayberry on Instagram. On Twitter, I am at SchneidRemarks. That's S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at the Luds. Two of those Ds. And, uh... The music you heard earlier, that was Max Ludwig. The music you're about to hear, uh, is... Uh, brothers rye with off-season blues uh, make sure to listen to the end of the music to hear episode three of our audio play barney's day off written by patreon subscribers jack royce and not your guts and starring erotic don knots that's such a weird sentence that i've said I, you, you keep so many times you made the decision to make a thing where you have to say erotic don knots on a regular basis you have no one to blame for this but yourself and that's it uh Good night, everyone. I'm good night. Good night and good luck. I'll <laughs> uh, see you all at the fishing hole. Y'all come back now. Give it one more chance, darling, before we get too old. Season's over, this town's drunk dry. Pull the sheds on the windows, ain't no shame to hide. They won't know the wicked toe, leaves on all my shoes. Plywood on the window, them all season blue. And now, 
of Breaking Mayberry Special Presentation. Barney's Day Out by Not Your Guts and Jack Royce. Starring Erotic Don Knotts. Episode 3. Dear Andy, I expect you heard the verdict. Needless to say, this injustice will not stand. Not when Sheriff Andy Taylor is on the case. Avenge me, Andy! Ring fire and brimstone like they ain't never seen. Six separate Tyrannus. I heard this meant something like long live the king. But in Latin. The language of the law. Saint President Marty Five. 